Support for today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Instant Success. Just add blood, sweat, and tears. Instant Success. Your better tomorrow starts today. Side effects may include not feeling sorry for yourself, putting in work, and severe gratitude. Ask your doctor if Instant Success is right for you. Excuses sold separately. Blood, sweat, and tears not included. Speaking of blood, sweat, and tears, back to the realness of remixing medicine only on Medicine Remixed. Hello. Dr. Cobb? In person. You, you are truly, you are truly like, uh, like the most interesting woman in the world. You know, that they, they made those Dos Equis commercials for a while with the, the most interesting man in the world. They, oh, they that's totally, funny. They, they totally have to reboot those commercials with you on there. Yeah. Dr. Catherine Coe is a neurosurgeon and a fine artist because being a boss of just one of those things wouldn't quite cut it. Well, you know, I first, uh, you know, I became a neurosurgeon first before I was an artist. And, uh, really? That's my, interesting. Yeah. You know, neurosurgery is kind of like, uh, well, you got to really focus. You, you can only do neurosurgery. I don't think it's true. Because, in fact, ne- my neurosurgical career took off after I went into art. She's both right-handed and left-handed because she taught her damn self how to be both. When I was in medical school in Hawaii, you know, your first and second year, we, you know, we wrote, actually wrote on paper back then. <laughs> Okay, for me to stay awake, because I, I, I don't do well when I'm sitting, and in one place I move a lot, and so for, to stay awake, I just, you know, one day I just said, okay, I'm going to the left, I switched to the left hand because I have to concentrate, and so then after, um, you know, a while, I became like being able to write with both hands, and I, you know, I've told people along the, the way, you know, this has made a huge difference in me, but you know, the thing is, it is so difficult, it's like learning a second language. She lives vicariously through herself. I always advocate for people to do everything that they feel is within their um, ability spectrum. I think you should you should maximize whatever um, abilities you have or that's in your heart to do uh, because, uh, you know, one, one chance through Earth. And so you may as well just do whatever you think you, you want to do. It might take a little bit more time if you're doing two or three things rather than just doing one. But if it's in your heart and you think you can make a difference, to somebody, uh, you know, I think you kind of like owe it to get that get that message out, and that's that's really what I'm all about. Is like I'm trying to show people that, well, yeah, you can be a brain surgeon, but you could do other things too. A craniotome is a tool used in neurosurgery to drill into a human skull. Dr. Ko only does craniotomies if the craniotome is tuned to the pitch of G sharp. There's a drill, of um, you know, a craniotome, right, to open the skull with. And at one of the hospitals that I was working at, you know, it emits a sound. And I just happened to notice, I happened to notice because I have very good, um, I have relative pitch, meaning that if you, if you, you know, you hum the note, I could, if you hum something, I could tell you basically pretty close what note it is. And so I started to realize that the drill is a uh, uh, pneumatic drill, so it had to be air, it had to be pressurized so that the sound was G sharp. And if it was G... Or A, it wouldn't work as well. So that, there's a, a little bit of, you know, everything <laughs> comes back to like, you know, music, science, sound, and it's, it's fascinating. And then she paints a masterpiece about it, because she can. And I, I actually did a painting called Craniotomy in G-sharp with me holding uh, so it's kind of a self-portrait. So She's the most interesting woman in the world. And in order for that to work, it had to be G-sharp. And I would tell the nurses, that ain't G-sharp. 
And I go, oh, Dr. Cole. I said, no, no, turn it up, turn it up. <laughs> she once had an awkward moment just to see how it feels. Instead of Dos Equis, we should go with Miller Lite. Okay, I like it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I was just thinking, too, this is such a, like, I'm a medical nerd joke, but I, hopefully you'll appreciate it. I was just thinking, the Dos Equis, like the two X's. Females have two X chromosomes. Dos Equis. This is what a joke about chromosomes looks like. As a man, I have an X and a Y chromosome. That's why I made this joke. Man, you Exactly. Oh, okay, great. Okay. Let's go let's go back to Dosecki's then. Her words of inspiration are so contagious, vaccines have been created for them. As I said from the beginning, from the first time I saw your account, I said you're doing something that nobody else is doing in medicine and by the heavens, you must continue because you are showing the young generation what is possible. You must continue. You know, there'll be some times where you put it on the side because, you know, your orthopedic career is busy, this and that, but come back to it. You'll come back to it. You'll find your way back. For the rest of the most interesting interview in the world, favorite this station and keep it locked. You can do both, my friends. You don't always hear dope shit, but when you do, it's on Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? What's really good, Anchor Hood? It's your boy Reesh. It's your station, Medicine Remixed. And what you might have just heard was a throwback trailer that we made for our second episode of Documentaries with Dr. Catherine Coe, aka Doc Ambidexter, which is still by far our most popular episode to date on Medicine Remixed. And that's all episodes, not just documentaries. And for anyone new to the station, documentaries is a segment where we interview doctors that we think are super interesting in some way and that basically pass the coveted medicine remixed real recognized real test, which may or actually more likely may not mean anything to anybody listening. But the punchline is this. If you're interested and if you haven't already, definitely check out all of those documentary episodes, all super interesting and valuable in different ways based on your call-ins and comments that we've gotten across social media about them. It's definitely the best-selling Medicine Remix segment right now. The second best-selling segment, by the way, is Audiotopsy, where we break down health and medicine-related references in rap lyrics. So we're obviously going to be trying to bring you as much documentaries and audiotopsy that we can. So definitely keep your call-ins coming if you're listening on Anchor. And that includes audiotopsy specimen requests. And please let us know if you want us to interview anyone that passes your real recognized real test and you think would be a dope guest for documentaries. And speaking of dope guests, for documentaries, the highly anticipated fourth episode of documentaries, which you're about to hear, is with the very inspiring and talented Dr. Usiwoma Abugo, aka Dr. A, to her patients and mentor me MD across social media. She's definitely reached influencer status in the medical Instagram world, which we actually touch on in this conversation quite a bit. And then we talk a bunch, though, about her truly interesting journey growing up as a first-generation African-American woman raised in Baltimore, the oldest child of four to Nigerian immigrant parents, went on to study at Notre Dame, a predominantly white school, which we obviously spend a little bit of time on, and after medical school at Loyola in Chicago, wound up at the famous and historically black 
Howard University for her ophthalmology residency in Washington, D.C. And she's now in California finishing an oculoplastic surgery fellowship. We talk about exactly what that involves and entails. And, you know, being in all of those different parts of the country, she really shares some amazing true stories of the good, bad, and the ugly of becoming a doctor and a surgeon as a black female right now in America. And if you've been listening to the station on Anchor over the past week or so, or listened to the Revolutionized Racism in Modern Medicine episode in Podcastville, highly recommended if you haven't, by the way. But in that episode, Dee and I shared a lot of stories about racism we encountered during our individual journeys to becoming medical doctors in America. So for those that listen, if you thought those stories that Dee and I told were crazy, boy, are you in for a wild ride on this episode. Even though we did spend a bunch of time on the topic of race, we talked about a bunch of other stuff too. We really covered a lot of ground in this one. Dr. A and I definitely bonded about the fact that the average person doesn't realize that an orthopedist and an ophthalmologist are surgeons. And so anyway, I had to ask her just like I asked Dr. Ko, the neurosurgeon, what music she listens to in the operating room and the answer may surprise you. And we also talk a bunch about why she started her blog, which has now translated nicely into her social media presence as MentorMeMD, which engages thousands of dedicated followers across social media every day, especially on Instagram. And she really shares some valuable tactics on how she was able to grow such a large following in less than a year. I really think this episode is a strong contender for most popular Medicine Remixed episodes. A lot of valuable insights, amazingly true stories, and so many inspiring words to live by. I thought she was a breath of fresh air to talk to, much like our fan favorite, Dr. Catherine Coe, another super inspiring, badass female surgeon. So yeah, I hope y'all get as much out of this episode as I did. If you're listening to this on Anchor, feel free to call in as always, and we'll definitely include the best ones in our final compilation of the episode, which is what y'all in Podcastville and iTunes land will be hearing. We love you guys and yells. I'll catch you on the other side of this bomb-ass episode. You're listening to Medicine Remixed only on Anchor. Hello. Hey, Mr. Me MD. Yeah. <laughs> AKA Eminem and MD, Dr. Yeah. A. <laughs> yes. What is up? Thank you so much for doing this. What should I actually call you, by the way? Like, what do you prefer to go by when you do stuff like this on the internet? Um, my name is Mentor Me MD is fine. Yeah. It's just going to be like a casual conversation, so I may not really refer to you at all, <laughs> but uh, okay. j- just so I'm mindful about that because I'm not sure if you actually like use your real name ever. I haven't really seen in some of the stuff that you've posted. It's usually been like Mentor Me MD or Dr. A or something like that. Uh. Yeah, I usually don't, but I mean, for something like this, I'm fine with you putting my actual name with it. Okay. Sometimes I think on social media, I've gotten a decent amount of creepers. 
Spanish. Ugh. So I don't yeah, like I can put my my yeah. actual name in like everything. Real life. But like on something right. a little bit more formal like this, I'm fine with you listing my actual name. Woo! Okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. We don't really get as many creepers over here, yeah. but just in the whole being in medicine and in healthcare and kind of treading with caution. Uh. Plus some of the stuff that we do too, like we curse. So it's like, Word. you know, in hip hop, you have your rap alias, your rap name, and then your actual persona. So uh -huh. kind of going with the exactly. theme, I guess. But yeah, totally, totally get it. You're super busy, I know, so I want to be mindful of your time. Mm -hmm. Is it cool if we get into some questions? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. So tell me about what it was like for you growing up. What were you like as a kid? Um, so I think I was pretty curious as a kid. I was definitely a huge nerd. I kind of knew from the age of like 10 that I wanted to be a doctor oh. and did a lot of things. I mean, random stupid things like for Halloween, I dressed up as a doctor and things like that. But then as I got a little older, I started to research things like in high school and about doing summer research and things like that. And I had my first research experience pretty early Major killer. with the National Institute of Health. And that kind of, I guess, shaped my trajectory towards medicine. Got it. Are your parents doctors? Anybody in the family doctors? I'm just trying to get an idea of like, you know, you're 10, not many 10 year olds have, you know, really the foresight. Uh -huh. So just trying to get an idea of like where that inspiration came from. Well, I think I just kind of always wanted to help people. I don't have any doctors in the family. My dad, he does research, but more in like computer stuff. And my mom is a nurse, but she actually went back to school after I was already in high school and decided to get a nursing degree. So growing up, I didn't actually have a real like medical influence. I remember when I was writing my personal statement for medical school, I had listed my father as a pretty big influence on my past medicine, just kind of seeing how he sacrificed a lot for us as we were growing up. And I think it just kind of fit with me, you know, that attitude of giving myself for others. And then I was also pretty nerdy and I really liked science. And so those two things just kind of naturally came together for me. And I'm not sure if there's any parents that has their child come up to them and be like, hey, I want to be a doctor. You know, they're not going to be like, no, like you should be a doctor. I kind of just said to my parents, hey, I think I want to be a doctor. They were like over the moon. Yeah. And so yeah. they just supported me the entire way. That's awesome. Are your parents immigrant parents or were they born and brought up here as well? No. So both of my parents are actually Nigerian. Grew up in Nigeria and they came to America a lot later in their life. Just trying to get an idea of the type of household that you grew up in. I, I feel like a lot of the things that up until this point I thought were Indian parent things were in fact just immigrant parent things. Uh. I just feel like a lot of kids of Indian immigrants, at least that I've seen, they really, I don't want to say brainwashed, but like from a very, mm -hmm. very early age, you're strongly encouraged to be a doctor. You doctor yet? No, dad, I'm 12. Talk to me when you doctor. You know what I mean? Was there any like element of that at all in your house or was it really just do whatever you want as long as you work hard kind of thing? I think it was kind of a mix. I think my parents were a little different. They didn't really push it on us because my dad had like a personal experience where it was kind of imposed on him. Kind of like what you're saying and he didn't like that so he didn't want to do 
the same thing for us, but they definitely right. were very, very happy that I wanted to be a doctor. Right, just like intrinsically motivated. Feel like I would react after having gone through it. It's just like, no! I'm sure this is what you want to do. Bro. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? If my child were to come up to me and say I was to be in medicine, I'd be like, huh. Don't you ever say that. Stay here. Stay as long as you can. Uh, For the love of God, cherish it. Let me tell you about all of my experiences, and then you tell me what you want to do. <laughs> And I think it's kind of funny because out of the four of us siblings, I'm the only one who decided to go into medicine. And ah. I'm not sure whether, like, my sibling kind of saw my experience. I guess you go to med school after all, eh? That, dude. They just had different passions, uh, but mm -hmm. I'm definitely the only one who um, went into medicine. And even though I think it's an incredible field to be in, no. I'm not sure that yeah. I would pressure any of my kids or anyone else to like go into the field. I like this right here. Unless they were like absolutely, oh. absolutely, absolutely passionate about it. Major killer. Yeah, 100%. I think things might be changing now with social media and the fact that maybe there's more information about these sorts of things, but no. I, I feel like while we were growing up a lot of it was just like very like glamorized and you, mm -hmm. you didn't really know the extent of what that path entails just as far as what sacrifices that you have to make and like yeah. really just wanting it for no other reason than I can't think of anything that would bring me professional satisfaction like yeah. taking care of sick people wow. and for no yeah. other reason other than that. And it, exactly. it, it's super rare to find that person in medicine. Uh, I think they recently did, probably a few years ago now, you may have heard of this, mm -hmm. this survey that they did of like a few thousand doctors like Whoa. across the country and they were asking them a series of questions that were some rendition of like, if you could do this over again, would you? <laughs> and if you could recommend a career in medicine to a loved one, would you? You don't love me no more! 89%, so that's almost nine out of 10 mm -hmm. with this sample size of thousands of doctors so nine out of ten doctors basically just said yeah. no absolutely not yeah seriously there's, I there's a lot. yeah i totally do too like having gone through it for as long as i have yeah i guess i became a doctor because ever since i was a little boy i just wanted to help people I don't tell this story very often, but... <laughs> oh, my God. I became a doctor for the same four reasons everybody does. Chicks, money, power, and chicks. But since HMOs have made it virtually impossible to make any real money, which directly affects the number of chicks who come sniffing around, and don't ask me what tree they're barking up, because they're sure as hell not pissing on mine. And as far as power goes, well, here I am during my free time letting some 13-year-old psychology fellow who couldn't cut it in real medicine ask me questions about my personal life. So here's the inside scoop there, pumpkin. Why don't you go ahead and tell me all about power? You got the power to let power go. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? I'm wearing new contacts. I just had my prescription changed after six years. You ever wait that long? Then you get new lenses. You're like, man, I could have been seeing things. <laughs>
How can instantly improve vision not be at the top of your to-do list? I'll see tomorrow. I don't, I don't have time. I don't have time to see clearly. No, I don't. I don't. No, I can't do that. You see what's on my desk? So I go in for the eye exam. I don't know about you, but I concentrate like crazy during the eye exam. You don't want to get a D on that thing. End up with these big, thick Coke bottle lenses. I didn't take it serious. Are you still in here? I'm just seeing shadows and shapes. Important. They don't call it a quiz. So I go in there, I sit in that big chair, he slides that big giant thing on my face. Are these my glasses? What happened to me? That'd be a hell of a pair of glasses. Do I like it better like this or like this? I like this one, but I want to see that one again. That one's pretty good, but let's go back to that one. Click, 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 click. I hate that test because I can't commit. I can feel my eye doctor losing his patience with me. Let's try it again, Brian. Which one do you like better, number one or number two? I don't like either one of those. <clears throat> yeah, but that wasn't the question I asked, was it? I asked you which one you like better, and I was careful to phrase it that way. So why don't you keep that in mind while we try it yet again? Which one do you like better? Number one or number two? They're about the same. <clears throat> well, why would I waste your time and mine by making them both the same? Did you ever stop to think about that? You ready to try it one more time? What do you want from me? Way too much pressure during that entire exam. They do one test every time. I don't know what they're looking for. All I know is I get an anxiety attack in the middle of the damn thing. Tell me the exact moment point A is directly over point B. Now! No, now! Now! Then! I don't know. I don't know when it happened. I'm worried if I'm off by an eighth of a second, I'll get these big giant Hubble coming attraction glasses. So you must have messed up that A-B test. Did I ever? Grand opening. What are they helping me with? My ability to watch cars pass on the highway? They pass now! And they pass now! Man, how do you do it? It's weird in the eye exam room. It's just him and me. It's dark in there. The door's closed. I feel strange when he pulls his chair up uncomfortably close to you. He's like this far from my face. He shines his goofy light into my eyes for about an eternity. How you doing there? I'm a little uncomfortable. Can you back up a tad? Are you looking at my soul? So he says, you know you have one eye set a little bit higher than your other eye? No. I did not. He goes, it doesn't affect your vision or anything. I just thought you might want to be self-conscious for the rest of your life. I went out to my car mirror. Am I some kind of monster? Then he asked me, would you like to try trifocals? And I'm like, I must have been away a while because 
I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, it's exactly what you would think. You can see at three different distances depending on where you look through your lens. You can see close, medium, or far away. And I'm like, I can't even imagine getting used to that. Do people need this kind of range? Is that a fly in my nose? Is that a comment? <laughs> This week's Doctionary word is diplopia. You know that scene where someone hits their head so hard as a kid and then someone props up over them asking, How many fingers am I holding up? How many fingers am I holding up? He wouldn't know that anyway. Shut up, Peter. Well, whether knowingly or unknowingly, that person was checking for diplopia. Diplopia is a word derived from the roots diple, meaning twofold. This is diplo. And ops, as in cyclops meaning the eye. So diplopia, diplopia, diplopia means double vision or perceiving a single object as two objects. Diplopia has several causes. You could get it from a brain tumor, for example. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. But if it's not that, it can be caused by a blood clot blocking a vessel in the brain or around the eye itself. You could get it from trauma to the eye or to the head. Light up the eyes, boys! Light up the eyes! Or from misalignment in the eyes, known as strabismus, which is totally a doctionary word in itself, by the way. But strabismus is something that you can either be born with or even acquire it from things like incorrect prescriptions for eyeglasses. You can experience diplopia in two ways, binocular diplopia and monocular diplopia. Binocular diplopia is using both of your eyes and seeing double. Monocular diplopia is using either one eye or the other, but not both eyes, and still seeing double. Thanks for listening to this week's Doctionary. Big ups to Big H for helping write this inaugural Doctionary episode. Let us know what you thought, and tune in next week for another riveting episode of Doctionary. You're listening to Medicine Remix only on Anchor. I check next to the definition. Later that day, George Michael was having his eye exam and finding okay. it to be just as difficult as his math exam. Or two. Two. No, no one. Okay. Two. Or three. Three. Uh, unless three is too much of an improvement. I'm sorry, is one is one in the mix still? Are you working? What kind of work do you do? You're in fellowship now, or you just finished fellowship? I am finishing my fellowship, and so I did an oculoplastic fellowship. Ah. So I feel like I've been in school for forever. Jinx, buy me a coat. Oh, snap, man, we're still saying the same thing. It has been brutal. I think that a lot of people, too, don't realize because I did ophthalmology and they're like, oh, like that's like easy or whatever. Seriously? Oh. And then they forget that it is actually a surgical, surgical right. specialty. Uh. And with that, it's actually pretty brutal. Oh. It's not as glamorous, I think, as 
people think it is. It's actually pretty rough. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. like almost there. <laughs> yeah, so close. It's so funny because like I, I think ophthalmology and orthopedics are similar in that way because I feel like when the average Joe hears either one of those fields, I don't think that translates at all into I cut people. I'm a surgeon, yeah. right? Wow. When I come across people in the ED or just like at a party or something, they think orthopedics is the same thing as a chiropractor or a podiatrist. Yeah. Uh. Exactly. It's like so common because ophthalmology and optometry, they sound pretty similar. And so I have had patients right. like come in to my office. They're like asking me point blank, what's the difference between you guys? And I'm like, well, Major killer. one has a medical degree, the other doesn't. And so I do have to like constantly explain to them those things, especially now for me doing more facial plastics and reconstructive things. I tell them I can do your glasses and things like that because I was trained to do that as a resident and as an ophthalmologist. But I'm like, well, at this point in my career, I really don't do glasses and things like that. Uh So you probably want to see your optometrist. But if you came to the emergency room with a pencil stuck in your eye. God, please, no! How about a magic trick? I'm gonna make this pencil disappear. No! I would be the person to take that pencil out, and I would be the one to reconstruct the tissues around your eye and your eyes to make you look normal after trauma like that. Whoa. And then they're like, stop. Okay, I get it. And the optometrist can be your glasses. So, there's a big difference. Yeah, I think that's super important to get that message across uh-huh. and kind of like rebrand a lot of these things. Yeah. Even now in 2017, where we all have the world's knowledge in our pocket, people still don't really know. Feel like with things like Mentor Me MD and Medicine Remix, kind of our generation that's come up with social media and technology and things like that, we can start kind of correcting the narrative and branding, really. It's it's interesting to me. Like, even things like ENT, even me, it took me till medical school where I was just like, oh, an ENT is actually a surgeon. (laughs) As far as, like, surgeries that you're doing now in fellowship, Mm -hmm. what's, like, the bread and butter for an oculoplastic surgeon? The bread and butter is your upper eyelid blepharoplasty or the lidless. And so we mostly get referrals, you know, like usually our patient is an older patient who comes in and says that, hey, you know, I've noticed that I've been reading, the vision is blurred. But when I went to the optometrist to check my vision, they said that your eye itself looks fine, but it actually looks like your lids are drooping and they're getting in the way of your vision. And so then we'll go ahead and we'll do the blepharoplasty and take away the excess skin. And then they end up actually having improvement in their visual field. I see. And as far as this particular fellowship, can you only Mm -hmm. do that through ophthalmology or can you do that after like a general surgery or a plastic surgery or a oral maxillofacial surgery type of uh, background? So there are different routes to what I do. Uh, And so you can do blepharoplasties and things like that after doing like a plastic surgery, oral maxillofacial surgery, they can do it as well. ENT 
surgeons do it as well. Uh, I think those are the main people that would actually do eyelid lift. Got it. That was another thing, like knowing the overlap between certain yeah. specialties, like, uh, you know, orthopedics, you have neurosurgery and orthopedic surgery overlapping mm -hmm. when it comes to the spine, Whoa. plastics and orthopedics when it comes uh, to the hand, all of these overlaps. Uh. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Neither of my parents are, are doctors, just like yours. My mom, not only did she really, really like want me to be a doctor, but she really wanted me for some reason. I, I, I don't, I, I should actually ask her what her reasoning yeah. was, but she really wanted me to be an ophthalmologist for whatever, oh, really? for whatever reason. Oh, okay. Yeah, huh. actually in college, I did this thing called Unite for Sight. I'm sure you've probably heard of mm -hmm. that. It's Absolutely. Uh, Unite for Sight and its partner local doctors have provided care for 1.9 million patients living in Poverty, including nearly 90,000 sight-restoring surgeries. Students and professionals are invited to join trained fellows and volunteers who have participated with Unite for Sight. So I actually did that in India, near where my mom grew up, and mm -hmm. um, it was an awesome experience. Just the whole thing was awesome. But what I yeah. realized early on, and then it was reaffirmed in medical school, uh, like I wear contact lenses, but anything other than that, from like an ick factor standpoint, uh, I, yeah. I, I think it's like interesting, like every specialty, like almost like what can you not be grossed out by? And yeah. can you see yourself like doing that every day? Cause like mangled extremities, oh, I'm fine with for whatever reason, but like anesthesia, yeah. for example, like them, mm -hmm. you know, sucking out secretions yeah. and like being oh, in yeah. like, I can't even. I literally just can't. That yeah, that's that, really gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like orthopedics for whatever reason, like a bone sticking through the skin. No, God, please, no. God, yeah, God. That doesn't gross me out as much as some really bad facial trauma that I'm sure that you've seen. Yeah. You know, a walk in the park for you. Damn, son, where'd you find this? So, like, speaking of that, what led you into ophthalmology, of all things? So, I went to um, Loyola University in Chicago for my medical school, and they're very much centered around patient-centered medicine and kind of like you as the whole physician and treating the human spirit, but then they also talk about not neglecting your own. I like this right here. And so one of my mentors in medical school, he told me, because I was asking him, what should I do? Because when I was in medical school, I initially was actually interested in like pediatrics, and then I was interested in like anesthesiology. Another one. And dermatology. And I was like, you know, I have no idea what I want to do. And uh. he said, you know, well, you should go out, volunteer for a bunch of things. Major killer. And he said the thing that you are not watching the clock, that's what you mm. should do like with the rest of your life. Bro. And so I think pretty early on, I actually started to volunteer with ophthalmology, prevention of blindness, and just different fairs. And honestly, that was the one thing 
I could be there for absolutely like hours and hours uh-huh. and I wouldn't even look at my watch once just because I felt really good about it. I was really excited um, about what I was seeing and then I really felt that the patients really appreciated what I was doing uh-huh. and were actually pretty invested in their care even from just coming to us at the screening tables and they were just like really like concerned about what was going on and really seeing apps to follow up and then when I did my ophthalmology rotation in medical school I would actually see a patient who would actually come in to the clinic after being referred from a screening fair and so it was just kind of nice to see that continuity and to know that you know I'm spending all these hours here doing this, these things but it actually matters to patients and ah. patients actually you know will come in after that experience so I think that that was kind of like my thing and just having that mentor in my life saying you know what is that thing that you do that you don't watch the clock and so for me that was ophthalmology that's awesome i think that's great advice whether you're in medicine or really in anything that's really good advice i think that that's definitely something that nobody told me that Mm -hmm. Uh, ultimately just like being in the or and it's kind of like a time machine, I always say. You're there, and then when it's over, the time that has elapsed, you're just like, wait. Hold up. Yeah. That, it's been like that many hours. The focus, man. That's exactly. crazy. That's really good advice. The documentary. The documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Support for today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Wenadryl Ultra Tabs, an over-the-counter strategy for those who don't know when to start pursuing their passions. The active ingredient in Wenadryl is now and then hydramine, the social allergy medicine useful for those people allergic to things like bullshit, haters, negativity, the present moment, and getting shit done. Wenadryl. If not now, then when? Now back to remixing medicine on Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. So I was looking at your trajectory prepping for this interview. Tell me what it was like going from a place like Notre Dame, which is where you went to college, to ultimately doing your ophthalmology residency at Howard yeah. DC. Just take me through that journey and like kind of just the juxtaposition of those two environments it was significant at all for you. I like this right here. Yeah, I mean, at Notre Dame, I think our class, our year had about a thousand students. And out of a thousand students, there were a hundred African-American students. And a decent amount of the African-American students were athletes. Um. And so there was only a couple actually in my year that wanted to do medicine. And so I think it was a little bit of, you know, like a culture shock. Uh. Um, majority of my classes, especially in the sciences, I was probably one of like three African-Americans in the entire classroom. And so that was definitely an interesting experience for me. It didn't really bother me quite as much. I think maybe during like orientation and the first couple of weeks noticed it more, but then kind of as the ball got rolling and I was struggling and like everybody around me was struggling, I didn't notice it quite as much. The one thing that I did note though, a lot of 
see other people, like the non-minorities in my class, they did seem to have a little bit of an advantage uh-huh. just because a lot of them had a parent or like something in medicine. <laughs> so I think maybe their journey was a little bit, I don't want to say easier, but maybe a little straighter than mine. And I definitely struggled a lot oh. earlier on. I think I asked people my fourth year, how did you know to like do this instead of that? And then they're like, oh, well, my dad is a doctor. My dad's a physician. And then, you know, my dad's dad, you know, my grandfather's a physician. And actually his father, my great grandfather was also a physician. And his father was a medic in like the civil war. And so that was one of the big things I've noticed at Notre Dame being predominantly Caucasian. Uh-huh. The majority of them did have a medical influence in their life and made things a little bit more straightforward for them earlier on versus me. I didn't really have a medical influence in my life and so that did make things harder as far as knowing which courses to take, how to study for certain things and so I definitely did notice the difference that way. In medicine in general, there are not that many minorities and so after Notre Dame I went to Chicago and that population was more diverse but it was also smaller but even then I think in my class probably like maybe five or ten minority students including African Americans but I think at the medical school level there was kind of more of a community because you have the SMA the Student National Medical Association which is for the empowerment of minorities in medicine and so you kind of have those types of communities that are more targeted to you in medical school that I definitely didn't have when I was in college uh-huh. and then I went to Howard and that was just like completely different it was actually kind of interesting there were two African Americans one Filipino in my class, but in ophthalmology, I don't really know why there weren't that many African Americans in ophthalmology at Howard. But Howard predominantly minorities, the biggest minority being African Americans throughout all the residencies. And I think it was refreshing, I think, to be in that type of environment. Uh, the majority of people kind of had similar backgrounds. They didn't all have people in medicine directing them, and uh, they all had been through different struggles so I think it was nice just kind of be part of that family. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, yeah. she went to Notre Dame for college and then yeah. wound up at Howard. I was like, that's super interesting. I have to ask her about that. So what made you want to go to Notre Dame? Actually, in high school, one of my counselors in my junior year, they were like, you have pretty good grades and you have this science background with research at the NIH. Uh. Notre Dame has this summer program for minority students. We think that you should apply for it. I ended up being selected and Notre Dame actually flew you in. We stayed in a dorm. You did different events. At the end of it, they basically told us if we wanted to come to Notre Dame, basically we were guaranteed to get into Notre Dame. That was just one of those things, you know. I knew that I wanted to go into medicine and honestly it was that summer experience that put Notre Dame over the top for me and that's how I ended up in Notre Dame. That's a great reason. (laughs) Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Dr. Grant, this is my friend Larry David. Hi, how He's you my doing? My dermatologist. Hi, really? Oh yeah, what? We're 15 years already. You know with the whole affirmative action thing? Uh, I'm sorry. I beg what? your pardon. What? No, he did. What do you mean? What's the joke? What? What do you mean the whole affirmative action thing? I, I don't. Oh. Right. <laughs> 
it was a, it was a joke. Oh, it was, no, no, it was he, a joke. He's like what? a buddy. Hey, he's, come he's on, not, no, 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 no. no, no, no I know him. I mean, he's he's a sweetheart. The implication being that oh, I was oh, good enough no. to be a dermatologist. No, 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 come on. Who is this guy? No, no it was a joke. He's a liberal. He's like really. Yeah, yeah, so if I wasn't black, you would have said the same thing, or or, or not. Do you see my point? Yeah, I see it in a, in, a, in a historical sense, but not in a, oh. in a, in a nice day yeah, sense. Don't, don't no, take no, no. You know, Richard, I, I've worked too hard and too long at this. I, 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 I know, look, I, 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 I don't know what his trip is, but I can't do it. No, it's, I don't it, have it, any trip. Yeah, no, yeah, it right. was a joke. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, oh, oh. Yeah. Holy shit. What, what hit you? It was a joke. I know it's a joke. It sounded like a Christ, like Pat Buchanan's gin. I was just trying to be, sake. I was trying to be affable. Look, I'll see you tonight. We'll try to, hopefully, we'll resolve, you know. I tend to say stupid things to black people stupid sometimes. Stupid things. That's like going to be in the time capsule of the Christ. Look, I'll, I'll see you later on. I, I was just trying to be affable. <laughs> Support for today's Medicine Remix show comes from Haterall, or as I like to call it, Haterall the first prescription drug for attitude deficit hater activity disorder, the lesser known ADHD. Do you follow people on social media for the sole purpose of hating on their entire life? Can you not remember the last nice thing you said about anyone? Do you hate Beyonce? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you may have attitude deficit hater activity disorder, aka hater ADHD. Here's a little hack to tell if you might be a hater. If you run into a hater once in a while, that's completely normal. If you run into haters all day every day, it's very possible that you, in fact, are the hater. If that sounds like you, no worries. You see, Fake Farm believes that haters are people too, but there are certain kinds of people with certain kinds of chemical imbalances in certain areas of their brains, which can make it more difficult to see the good in other people and have anything nice to say about anybody. Haters are also more likely to turn to posting negative comments or reviews and talking about people behind their backs as a feel-good outlet or a form of self-medication. Being a hater can affect a sufferer's social life, like when they stay at home to troll instead of being down to roll with the homies. If attitude deficit hater activity is diagnosed, haters may also learn to manage their behavioral symptoms with things like hugs, gratitude journals, and even hater support groups. If you're thinking to yourself, Reesh, ain't nobody got time for all that, well, maybe you should ask your doctor if Hatterall might be right for you. But between us, it already sounds like it just might be. Hatterall. Life is too short to hate. Now, back to trying to remix the love back into modern medicine only on Medicine Remixed. Hey, 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 hey. Man, you corny! Why would black people have a mistrust of the medical profession? Because of the vestiges of that experiment. Exactly. That Absolutely. Experiment. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Please come in. I hope we're not disturbing anything. Uh, any sort of Excuse me, sweetie. Everybody, this is Larry David and his wife Cheryl. Hello. Hi, Hi Cheryl. Hi. 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 How you doing? Hi. 
Oh, pleasure to meet you. It is so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. And, and again, I'm so um, so sorry about God Almighty. I can't believe right. I said I think that. I no, I don't think so. It was completely idiotic, really. What What did he say? Um, <laughs> we'd like to hear. Yeah, we'd like to know. Yeah, why not? No, you believe me. You don't want to hear this. What is it? You love to hear. You kidding? Come on, it was nothing. Believe me, it was nothing. You're having a nice party here. Probably having a very stimulating conversation until we came in. Yeah, so, go. Believe me, my advice to you: go back because. Yeah. Harry, you're apologizing. Apologizing for nothing? I wish it was something. I wish it was something. I am apologizing for pretty much nothing. It is nothing. It's so unimportant. Oh, come on, Larry, please share it with us. Well, come on, <laughs> spit it out, Larry. I'll make a deal with you folks, okay? Okay. We'll, we'll tell you what it was, and then we can move on. And then That's we can a great idea. How's that? Okay. Great idea. That's okay. Great. Okay. All right, Larry. Larry, please. I was walking along with my friend at near the beach in Santa Monica and Dr. Grams comes jogging by and he's in very good shape this man by the way in very good shape come on let's not beat around the bush come on let's go well I said um, when he introduced me to Dr. Grams he told me that he's a patient Dr. Grams and I said you let him work on you, even with the whole affirmative action thing? <laughs> you know, because I... It was a joke. I'm just... It was a bad joke. I was trying to be too affable. I'm, I went overboard in my affability. Are you in favor of affirmative action? But completely in favor of it. Are you kidding? I, I don't think white people should have anything. <laughs> I think we should be sleeping on the street, eating eating crumbs, and we should be that way actually for a couple of hundred years. And I'm not even joking about that. And you know, guys, I've learned it. He's a comedian. He makes funny lines all the time. I overreact. And he's not good off the top of his head. He's much better when he has a chance to write it and look it over. Maybe he's learned a lesson from all this. Yeah, you should say that again. Yeah, I was about to say sister, but I. Okay, everyone. So please, Mrs. David, let me take a look at that arm. obviously like a hot topic more than ever but it's not something we typically talk about in the context of healthcare necessarily do you remember a moment that you'd be comfortable sharing where someone either said or did something where you were like this is a hundred percent all natural racism you were just like god damn that was racist that was racist
anywhere from like the classroom on up to like what you do now. I mean, it's pretty prevalent, I think, throughout all of medicine. Depending on where you practice, there's definitely the race factor. I actually posted on my Instagram page about an incident. Um, I do my fellowship in Central Valley, California, and there's a decent amount of minorities, but for the majority, it's pretty much, you know, blue-collar Caucasians. Uh. And we had a case where it was just a blepharoplasty for a patient, and my surgical coordinator came and told me that the patient did not want me to be present. Wow. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, that's fine. That's well within the patient's right to not have a fellow operate on them. Oh. You know, I think anybody in training has had that experience where somebody's been like, okay, we don't want somebody training involved in our care. And I've had that experience before. Uh, but this one sure. was a little different because the patient in question actually was like, I don't even want her to like touch me. Whoa. And it came out through the whole conversation that the patient was actually racist and did not want me to touch them because I was black. And so, I don't know, it just, it was very, very like frustrating because I'm like, you know, I've been through all this training and absolutely more than capable of doing this surgery. Uh, I think it was just frustrating because I'm like, seriously, like you don't want me to touch you just because of the color of my skin. And I talked to my mom, and that was actually pretty helpful. Ah, She's a nurse, and she's a nurse, and she is Nigerian, and so she has a pretty thick accent, and so she's definitely had people, like, make racist comments and racist remarks, and, like, she just kind of reminded me that the problem is honestly with them, and the problem is not with me, and so I was able to get over it, but I think that was just one of the most recent instances that I face blunt, overt racism in this day and age. I mean, obviously, with the things that are going on in the world right now, racism is definitely alive and well. Uh, but yeah. I think I was just more yeah. shocked to experience it personally. The documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Racopressin, the first ever anti-racism elixir, now available in BlackBerry. Are you still doubling down on your vote to make America hate again? I mean, great again. Who are we kidding? I was right the first time. Does the sight of professional athletes kneeling in nonviolent protest during national anthems piss you off? Have you started statements with the phrase, I'm not racist, but if you answered yes to even one of these questions, I think it's safe to say that you should talk to your doctor about racopressin. After analyzing centuries of oppression data, scientists have finally boiled down the solution for racism to simple neurochemistry. You see, racopressin is a racemic mixture of four synthetic neurochemical molecules that are emotional analogs to rationality, awareness, compassion, and empathy, R-A-C-E, race. Clinical trials have shown racopressin 
has been effective at reducing a range of symptoms from being semantically crippled by phrases like Black Lives Matter to denying your alleged racism by claiming to have one or more friends of the race you are being accused of being racist towards. Race oppressing. Race the hate out of your world. Side effects of race oppressing may include colorblindness. And to clarify, we're talking about the real colorblindness, not the closet racist, I don't see color bullshit. You still see people colors, just not red, white, or blue, coincidentally, by a rare subset of people. Another common side effect of race oppression is dry mouth, or cotton mouth if you prefer. And if you actually prefer calling it the latter when given the option to choose, talk to your doctor about race oppression extra strength. Finally, don't eat white chocolate while on race oppression, especially if you prefer it to regular chocolate at baseline. Now, back to some more peace of medical mind on Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. Hi, we're not in right now, but if you leave your name and number, we'll get back to you. Medicine Remixed on no other place but here on Anchor. Medicine Remix, thank you so much for doing this segment. It's something, it's it's needed. I don't think we talk enough about race in an honest way. And the thing that makes me annoyed about her experience is that what happens is that people of color, whenever we experience racism, we're expected to take the high road and to turn the other cheek. And like she said, oh, well, the problem is with them and you persevere and go on. My issue with that attitude is that that allows racism to get a pass, that the people who are perpetrating these racist acts get a pass because you decide to take the high road the same thing we go uh, they go low we go high they go low i throw rocks that's what i i think that people who are racist and doing things like that need to be held accountable we need to stop giving them a pass throw the damn rocks medicine wanted to clarify obviously i'm not a proponent of throwing rocks in a case like this you can't do that but i am a proponent of accountability and what happens is when hospitals medical centers the medical profession are like well okay it's the patient you're giving a pass to racism as well so i think that you need to stand up for the people that are in the profession i mean how do you would you like it if it was you And that's the thing. It never is the majority. Therefore, you know, nothing is ever done about it. So I'm just like, well, which guess what? You don't want service from her. You just don't want service. Clearly, you can't do that. But if it's a racism thing, I think you can. Again, I'm like just really not trying to give a pass to racism, racist acts and the people who sympathize with it. No excuse. Cheers. I think it happened like a year or two ago. You definitely remember this because it went viral all over social media. Uh, but there was a black female OBGYN, I think, uh, Tamika Cross, something like that. Yeah. And she was on this Delta flight. You remember this, right? Yeah. And she was on this Delta flight and another passenger was unresponsive. Oh, God. The flight attendant yeah. called for help. I'm sorry I had to wake you. I'm just looking for a doctor. There's nothing to worry about. She had the courage to raise her hand, whereas a lot of doctors in that situation, they're 
like, oh, I don't have duty of care. I'm not getting sued. Fuck that. I'm not letting anybody yeah. know. Seriously? But she had the courage to do the right thing, uh -huh. was able to offer her services. And this flight attendant goes something like, oh, no, sweetie, put your hand down. We're looking for actual doctors. What? Or well, some type of medical personnel. Yeah. yeah. We don't yeah. we don't have time to talk to you. Yes. And the logical deduction there is she was turned down because this racist flight attendant couldn't believe this black woman raising her hand to offer to save somebody's life. Uh, she couldn't believe yeah. that that was a doctor. Like, Worst. how racist do you have to be to turn down someone, anyone, Money. offering yeah. to help out in that situation Ugh. that may know Absolutely. way more than you? Oh my God, what's going on? Whether or not they were even a doctor or not, you know, yeah. like the fact that they're volunteering to like help out. How did you respond to that when you heard it at that time? I think when I heard it, I was definitely shocked. An African-American doctor saying she was the first to offer help, but who says the flight attendant did not believe her when she said she was a doctor. Real life. Literally, I think the day after it happened, since I'm a medical professional on Facebook, because I think how it went viral was that she made a Facebook post. Quote. Oh. I'm sure many of my fellow young corporate America working women of color can all understand my frustration when I say I'm sick of being disrespected. Uh, was on a Delta flight DL-945 and someone two rows in front of me was screaming for help. Her husband was unresponsive. I naturally jumped into doctor mode as no one else was getting up, okay. unbuckle my seatbelt and throw my tray table up. And as I'm about to stand up, flight attendant says, everyone stay calm, it's just the night terror, he is all right. I continue to watch the scene closely. Uh, a couple minutes later, he is unresponsive again and the flight oh, attendant yells call overhead for a physician on board i raised my hand to grab her attention she said to me quote oh no sweetie put your hand down Hold we on. are looking for actual physicians or nurses or some type of medical personnel we don't have time to talk to you whoa end quote seriously i tried to inform her that i was a physician uh. but i was continually cut off Stop. by condescending remarks Ugh. then overhead they paged any physician on board please press your button i said at her as I go to press my button. Boy. She said, oh wow, you're an actual physician, quote. Yeah. I reply, yes. She said, let me see your credentials. What type of doctor are you? Where do you work? Why were you in Detroit? What? Please remember, this man is still in need of help and she is blocking my row from even standing up while bombarding <coughs> me with questions. Worse. I respond, quote, OBGYN work in Houston, in Detroit for a wedding, but believe it or not, they do have doctors in Detroit. Uh. Now, excuse me so I can help this man in need. Another, quote, seasoned white male approaches the row oh, and says he is physician as well. She says to me, thanks for your help, but he can help us and he has his credentials. Seriously? Mind you, he hasn't shown anything to her, uh, just showed up and fit the quote description of a doctor. I don't want to see a swing. I stayed seated, mind blown, blood boiling. Man is responding and is seemingly better now, thank God. Then this heifer has the nerve to ask for my input on what to do next about 10 minutes later. I tell her we need vitals and blood sugar. She comes back to report to me a BP of 80 over 50, super low to my non-medical peak. We continue down that pathway of medical workup, but the point is she needed my help and I continue to help despite the choice words I had saved up for her. The patient and his wife weren't the problem. They needed help and we were mid-flight. She came and apologized to me several times and offered me sky miles. I kindly refused. This is going higher than her. I don't want sky miles in exchange for blatant discrimination whether this was race age gender discrimination it's not right she will not get away with this and i will still get my sky miles
And so on her Facebook post, a bunch of my friends are like, oh, well, you're a black female in medicine. And so they just tagged a bunch of us doctors like under her post to like raise awareness for it. I was tagged on that post Ah. and I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely crazy, but it makes sense. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doctor they told you to go see? I had not the same type of situation, but I had raised my hand during a flight. There was this girl, kind of interesting. She had just come from like Disneyland and she was shaking and things like that. And they're like, is there any medical personnel? And so I raised my hand and then a couple other people raised their hand. So they actually called all of us back there. I was the only MD there. And she actually asked me like, what are your credentials? I'm an MD. And then there was some other people there. There was like a EMT there, maybe like a PA. There was like two other people and like the flight attendant kept giving the stethoscope to the EMT and then after the EMT listened he was like you know like maybe we should turn this over to the medical doctor because like they were listening and they couldn't find anything and I'm an ophthalmologist and I'm listening to the lungs and I'm like dude she has fluid in her lungs and I like turned to the mom and I asked the mom I'm like did she go swimming or anything and she was like actually yeah we Uh. was in the ocean for a while she came out she was coughing and I'm like the girl has fluid in her lungs but it was crazy to me because immediately like when we we're all there they just gave everything to the EMT uh, and I'm like okay I'm the MD you know that they're an EMT oh. why are you giving it to that and so I was upset about what happened but I kind of was yeah. like unfortunately that's what happens nowadays uh, they just don't believe that you yeah. know like yeah that well, I think it, it's like compounded you have the double whammy of being a female and black so, you know what I mean like just yeah, one of those exactly. things is already a barrier so props for you i can only imagine how much bullshit like that that you've had to like just get through time and time again to get to where you are now i mean that's not that's not something that we really talk about enough especially with everything that's happening and i think you know even though what happened to that obgyn was like horrible the hopeful part of it major killer is that we've become like this social organism and Mm -hmm. all of these things that are happening in technology are really just starting to just be like a macroscopic version of what already happening within our bodies as far as like immunity and just like you know cellular signaling on our cellular phones and just how we're able to communicate and how we're able to like rally against these injustices these injuries to the social organism so to have the mechanisms to like start a movement Uh. hashtag black lives matter or you know whatever it is in that way it's hopeful and us talking about this and sharing it and bringing awareness is super huge Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doctor they told you to go see? 
you know, music is really, really important to me. I can't even tell you. I mean, I can't even put a pen. I can't even put a pen to a paper without music in the background. And um, I just need to have sound. I, I just need to have music before I do art. Now, in the operating room, it's it's very different, you know. Say you got two anesthesia people, a scrub tech. You can't play music because nobody will agree on what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the ultimate flight of a DJ is like you can't please everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what music do you guys listen to in your OR? It depends on on the attending. Like obviously, yep. my my favorite attendings are are the ones that that listen to hip hop. But yeah, you know, they're anything from like show tunes which is somewhat concerning to me at times yeah and some listen to country some listen to uh just like you know just like top 40 really wide variety but yeah if i if i have control of it like you know i'll put like a a mix of some kind on and like i slowly i'm gonna start putting out some mixes you know getting back into the 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 djing and maybe i'll call it like you know or mixtape you know volume go for it yeah yeah that's brilliant that's that's absolutely and i'll be let me tell you, I'll be the first one to buy it. Buy it, <laughs> but you know, please. No you know, you know what's funny is that um, my I had to suffer through a spine fusion when I was um, maybe first year attending, and the uh, the guy that I was doing it with was you know twenty years older or something like that. I had to listen to country western music for Ooh. oh my. It's- Brutal. For, Brutal. Yeah, yeah I uh, I learned that, you know, yeah, you, you, you kind of kind of have to find a happy medium because it just annoyed yeah. me. His choice of music just yeah. annoyed me. So... It's so interesting. It's so interesting, though, isn't it? Like, even from a neuroscience perspective, you know, he like genuinely enjoys that. But for me, that the twanginess, there's just something about the sound of country that it's just like I have the same reaction as you. I think that that's super fascinating. You know, what what yep. people are moved by. Yeah, exactly. And so, so then kind of like um, you know, you you ask the anesthesiologist what they want, and you ask the scrub tech, and it, and so. So basically, we're listening to the heartbeat. <laughs> we're yeah, just, I'm yeah, just, you yeah. know, like one, 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 and and, and you know, okay, we're, we're gonna listen to the heartbeat. <laughs> the, the ultimate 808, ultimate yeah, right drum loop. <laughs> Is there a particular type of music that you like listening to when when you're writing or or, or doing art, or does it vary? You know, with with writing, um, no words help either. Uh, you know, when when I'm writing, right. it's either Agreed. no words, yeah. so it's 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 music. Or um, and usually it's jazz, honestly, or um, foreign la- foreign language that I can't understand, and so that that'll work. And then I, but I'm really into like re- even very eclectic music. Like I'll even follow a guy, uh, a Samoan singer. I mean, I'm from Hawaii, so the Pacific Basin is really um, important to me. But I have a whole my, my I can't even categorize what music I like. And then when I'm doing art, um, I like um, contemporary music, whatever it is. You know, I, that's you know sort of I sort of need the beat with you know to with when i'm painting uh-huh. um in the operating room you know if i can uh, get away with it i'll just you know i'll play whatever's contemporary um so so it, you know it just depends where i am and what i'm doing well what about you i mean uh you know when you're when you're at home what do you listen it, to you know i i do listen to a lot of uh of hip-hop and r&b but my wife is really into like some edm but like you know like indie kind of uh, mm-hmm. I, I start to lose track of like how to categorize like some of these genres but um yeah i i grew up i grew up listening to like punk rock and metal just because of like yeah. you know the 
the environment that I grew up in. But then, you know, I think I was always drawn to hip hop. I think that that's like kind of where my first love is. And, you know, even when I DJ, like my music IQ for hip hop stuff is just, you know, way, you know, standard deviations above like anything else, I think, you know. Totally. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because somebody once asked me, well, you know, what's your inspiration for art? We were talking about art. And I said, it's a note. And so what happens is, you know, I'll hear something, whatever it is, some some song, some note, some phrase, and uh, that'll start kind of like stay in my head, you know, it'll play over and over and over. And then that becomes the kernel for the painting. And because, you know, the colors are sort of like notes, you're putting together a painting, but just like, you know, you're putting together a song, it has to be cohesive and it has to work. And then if you step back, it's almost mathematical. The way things yeah. work, there's a certain formula right. and then you, you flip back to science. Yeah. And so, you know, you go through yeah, the spectrum the, and, you know. double. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> oh, hell no. The you didn't just touch my goddamn radio. The Beach Boys are great American music. The Beach Boys gonna get you a great ass whooping. Ever touch a black man's radio, boy? You can do that in China, but you can get your ass killed out here, man. I'm gonna show you real music. They don't play Snoop in the OR. They play Biggie, maybe Tupac. You don't play Snoop in an OR. Maybe in a vet practice. Don't play Snoop in a human OR. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. Dr. Dre is actual medical doctor. I think he went to Baylor. Now that's good OR music, yo. Appendectomy. Yup, bum, 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 bum. Before I forget, the last interview that we had, it was with Dr. Ko. I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, uh, Doc Ambidexter. She's a neurosurgeon mm -hmm. and she's also yeah. like a, yeah, she's awesome. We talked for a bit about like the music that we play in the OR. So I just mm -hmm. think it's a cool question now when I interview anybody that's uh, in one of the surgical fields, what music do you listen to in the OR? So I actually am a little lame. I definitely uh -huh. like to listen to boy bands, like okay. boys. And then say, yeah, okay. and like Britney Spears and things like that. Um, Cause I think it's just kind of fun. I sing along with all of the words and then my staff up in the OR, they also sing along. So boy bands, <laughs> 90s music. And sometimes I like top 40, but it's mainly the boy bands. Cause I like to sing along. You know, over the years, so I DJ in college and in uh, mm -hmm. med school, even a little bit in residency here or there. But like yeah. any time that I would drop just a random in sync or Backstreet Boys track, it's almost like party CPR, you know? Like it yeah. just revives the energy. Like everybody knows the words and. Oh yeah, like yeah. a nostalgic moment almost too. Totally. That nostalgia, it's a powerful thing because, uh, you know, from yeah. whether you're selling something or like throwing a party or whatever it is, like tell yeah. me somebody that doesn't like a nostalgic anything. So that, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a great, great strategy.
documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Support for Medicine Remix today comes from Yzine Y Drops. Do you work on a screen all day but still feel the compulsive need to look at your phone screen every waking second of every day, whether you're working or not? Do your eyes get dry from incessantly checking your social media profiles for validation via likes, followers, retweets, comments, and or listens? Feel like an irritated digital shell of your former self in real life? If you answered yes to even one of these questions, you might want to try Yzine. No other Y drops relieve your inability to ask yourself why you post on social media in the first place faster than Yzine. Yzine starts to work immediately. It gives your eyes and your Ys 100% of what they need for fast relief from feelings of worthlessness on social media and in real life. Only Yzine has Hydroblend, a unique blend of metaphysical moisturizers that soothe, restore, and protect your sense of self for up to a lifetime of inner peace and an unshakable sense of purpose in your everyday life. Find Hydroblend wherever Yzine products like Fear Clear Eyes, Mind's Eye Allergy Relief, and Dry Y All Day Comfort are sold. If you can't see your Y, drop Yzine in your eye. Speaking of why, back to Medicine Remixed, the reason why you're listening only on Anchor. I want to talk about Mentor Me MD and kind of how that transpired, the steps that you took to like make that a reality. So I think the inspiration for Mentor Me MD would be one of my actual mentors, and she is the reason why I'm in ophthalmology today. She is both my mentor and my sponsor, and I actually met her in medical school, and she guided my trajectory to ophthalmology and even to osteoplastics, and I have an interesting encounter with her and because I was able to match into ophthalmology and it's relatively competitive, I've had like yeah, a lot of yeah. other medical students reaching out to me for mentorship and all of them, especially early in my ophthalmology career, I can tell you what I did, but hey, like you should talk to my mentor, like she's awesome, she's awesome, she's awesome. But then recently I went to her with one of my mentees that I'm working with right now to match into ophthalmology. And I asked my mentor, I'm like, can you mentor her? And my mentor was like, no, you mentor her. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> and I think I was a little hurt. I was like, seriously, like, I want you to, like, do this. And you're telling me no, like, in front of her. And I kept, kind of felt, like, hurt and embarrassed for her. But then when I went home, I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can mentor yeah. people who want to be in medicine and who want to do ophthalmology. And so I think it's just, like, from my experiences and the struggle to find like a really good mentor and then talking to people who are interested in medical school, helping them know what to do, how to find research and things like that. I think I wanted yeah. to kind of develop more of like a social media platform for the professional that's looking for ways to get to the next step. And so that's kind of how the whole Mentor Me MD thing came to be. And then the other thing too, kind of like what you were saying, 
thing with like social media movement. Also, it's like really, really awesome when patients come to you and they're like, oh, you're black and you're female and you're a doctor. That's so awesome. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my daughter that my physician was a black female. And I think that it's just really important to have kind of like that strong minority voice on social media so that a lot of these younger girls and like younger minorities can say, hey, you know, like if she can do it, I can do it too. And so I just think, you know, life is all about paying it forward. And I've honestly been really, really blessed with mentors and the people around me who have basically put me on the professional path. I don't know. I feel like I definitely have to give back. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly how we feel about it. You know, just paying it forward, just like you said. You know, you're mentioning this moment with your mentor and then, you know, Mm -hmm. the mentee becomes the mentor and she's like passing on the torch. And now you don't even really need a physical person in front of you to mentor. We are now able to scale what was previously unscalable. So you have these tools to be able to answer people's questions. So what year was this roughly? When did you uh, kind of start this project? I actually started that seriously last year. Um, oh, great. I, okay. like, yeah. So I actually had an initial Instagram page just kind of chronicling my life through residency and things like that. But then I okay. think last year when I had the incident with my mentor, I think I just decided that there needed to be a social media platform for mentoring. And I kind of like looked around and I was like, you know, there really isn't one on social media. Like there are different forms of it, but nothing that's right. really, really a addressing mentorship and I think that out of a lot of the different resources that we have in medicine mentorship is the most important because I think it just makes your path so much easier and then it also mm-hmm. opens doors for you that you never ever thought that could be open especially as a minority there are just certain things that you may not know and that I definitely would never have known without a mentor and I'm a hundred percent sure that without a mentor I would not have mastered ophthalmology or even gotten a fellowship. I just think that there really isn't that strong mentorship present online. And so that is kind of that void that I wanted to fill. And it's been really, really great and gratifying because I get a lot of people who are actually reaching out to me on social media, talking to me about their failures and gaps and things like that in their resumes. And they're asking me what they need to do. And I like to be personal. And so I usually will respond to an email if they want to talk to me, I'll give them my phone number to call me. I've read over personal statements and actually fixing them. It's been pretty awesome. And the response has been really, really great. It's just super impressive. Like, you're so busy. Oh. I know the amount of time commitment that goes into a residency that, that you just went through and now in fellowship. Uh. So you obviously love doing this because that free time is so precious. Bro. But how do you find the time and the energy to to kind of you know maintain this and maybe what advice or tips can you suggest for people inside and outside of medicine to kind of develop the type of following that you've amassed in such a short time you have something like 10,000 followers on instagram that's impressive you could 
swipe up on your yeah. Instagram stories. Like, you've made it. So, any so, tips you could provide? I think it's finding something that you are passionate about. Uh-huh. And I think that that's one of the things in life that you have to be absolutely certain about before you enter into any type of mission. Uh-huh. And so, for me, one of my favorite quotes is, strive to be of value and not of importance. <laughs> for me, I think that if I know that I am providing something valuable that people actually need, that kind of motivates me more. Uh. And so I think that it drives me, especially like the response that I have gotten and like the DMs and things that kind of drives me and motivates me more. And it's it's something that I'm passionate about. And I think before, like with my Instagram platform, I was posting more of like fun, like cute things, but it wasn't actually, you know, like my passion. Uh. And so now what I do is basically I try to stay connected with my followers daily usually through my Instagram stories. I try to post most days of the week. Major killer. The thing though too is that, you know, I'm a researcher and so I research things like how to like drive engagement. So I post consistently at the same time Mm -hmm. every day. I try to post things on my Instagram story that I find either relevant or interesting and then I just interact with other people on social media because there's so many cool Instagram pages out there Uh, and so I interact with them I interact with my followers and that kind of helps to like drive my engagement Uh and drive up my interaction and I think it's kind of like one of those things that you can't really like when I hit 10,000 I didn't even know that I hit 10,000 like I really don't like actually look at the followers because at the end of the day honestly it doesn't matter whether you have 10 followers or 10,000 followers. It only matters Mm -hmm. if you're making a difference in somebody's life. I actually have an email from somebody recently and she's like in Australia and she was telling me how she wants to be an ophthalmologist and she's been so discouraged but then she found my Instagram page and she's just really encouraged by my struggle and my being real about my experiences in medicine. I like this right here. Because medicine can be glamorous but also there's just a lot of dirt in medicine. Uh, I think that especially in the medical field, you you feel like really, really isolated sometimes, especially if you're going through a rough patch or so, like you fail an exam yeah. or just something like that, you get a bad review. Uh-huh. But I think that it's just so encouraging and uplifting to see somebody else is out there and they're going through what I'm going through. Yes. And so I think it's just, I think it's just nice. And I think just the response really motivates me to do it every day. And I'll usually like spend a little time on the weekend planning what I'm going to be talking about during the week and things like that. Again, with just the goal to be of value. And then I don't check how many likes I get and I don't check how many followers I get because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh But I do look at the comments because I like to interact that way. Uh And then I also like to see kind of what they say and sometimes the comments that people make, that kind of helps me figure out my next post or something that I want to talk about or research and things like that. I think you really hit a lot of important points because I know how much people really care about those numbers, you know, just being validated by the number of likes. Uh-huh. And then it just winds up being like a source of depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It Whereas is. like anything else, it should be for the thing itself. You know, like asking yeah. yourself, like, why am I doing this in the first place? And to, to kind of bring yourself back to why you're doing this and being of value, not of importance. I think that's tremendous. <laughs>
documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Z here, great segment on value. Yeah, I think a lot of us feel undervalued, and that's definitely because we're so fixated on the numbers. And I'd just like to add that you could have 10,000 listeners and not affect any of them, and then you might have one listener and profoundly affect them and many after. In other words, we have no idea the effect that we have on people. So I think that's great advice to just do what you do and try to provide some value. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Any specific time of day that you've like ritualized as far as posting? Um, I usually post around noon and that's just because I find that just in general like on social media that's a pretty good time for people at work and my audience is mainly professional uh, so usually like at lunchtime while people are eating that's when they're kind of swiping through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. So that's usually when I'll go on to like all of my different social media platforms and I'll posts or like things and things like that and retweet things on Twitter. And so usually lunchtime is kind of like my sweet spot. And that's usually when I have the time during the day to post things. Gotcha. It seems like you get so much engagement and that's definitely a big source of some of the content that you post. Is that primarily the way that you come up with your content based on questions that you get? Or do you have any other kind of pillar content things as far as like, you know, Throwback Thursday or you know, um, certain things on certain days kind of thing well no I like I don't I usually go based on comments that people give uh, or messages that I get that kind of feeds my content yay. the kind of nice thing about doing like a medical platform is that you can honestly just post about your day 100. so if I have a difficult patient I will maybe post something about like how do you handle difficult patients uh, or like for example on social media a lot of the medical students that I follow and who follow me, they have been posting about the fact that they've all submitted their applications for residency. And so that shows my post yesterday about match day and just kind of the struggles that I went through, like in medical school and things like that. So I definitely feed off of my social media feed. And I definitely, I watch all of the stories and things like that too, like Instagram stories. I watch all of them because that gives me really great content and it also just kind of shows me what people who I follow, what they value. Uh So that's kind of like with my whole thing of being of value, not of importance. Uh Before I started this whole mentoring thing, when I would post things that I think made me look cool or whatever, um, I got a response, but not that great a response. Uh And I think it's because I wasn't adding value to like anybody's life. And honestly, I wasn't adding value to my own life. And so now before I post, I 
thinking, okay, is this going to help somebody? Is this going to motivate somebody? Am I adding value to somebody's life by this post? Um, and that's what I think before I make any post. And so even if it's like something that's sponsored, which I've been posting recently, sponsored things, I'm like, okay, you know, these products are great, uh, but they aren't great unless they're actually helpful or beneficial to somebody. Yeah. So I have gotten contacted for like sponsoring other things, <laughs> but I haven't accepted them because I'm like, well, it might add value to me because I get it for free, uh, but is it actually yeah. going to help anybody if I'm posting this on my Instagram page all the time? Uh, and so I'm like, no, it's not going to help anybody. I think that's just how I get my content. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I think uh, you really, you know, again, providing a lot of awesome insight. Like, I, I just think about so much of what we do on our station, too, is just like this idea that all knowledge is like an analogy, you know, everything is everything. Mm -hmm. Like that Lauren Hill song, everything is everything. Yeah. I told you I, I DJed in, in college and, and in medical mm -hmm. school. Another one. And when I first started DJing, one of the things that I noticed was I would just play the stuff that I thought was hot. You know what I mean? And then like people would just come up like requesting songs. Uh, There's zero DJs in the world that like getting requests. Like zero. Yeah. But actually later on, what I you know really developed was you kind of have to like profile your crowd a little bit. You have to know who your yeah. audience is. Just uh -huh. like you were saying, exactly. like kind of like going in to like what do these people vibe to what do they value what type of you know and sometimes it's like you know you play off of the stereotypes like i would do everything from like weddings to you know mm -hmm. sorority and frat parties to like bars yeah. so like if i was at the white girl sorority party i'm yeah. gonna play some katie perry not like the yeah. new Jaden kiss, you know, like, yeah. you know, I think that just reminded me a lot of what you said about kind of giving the people what they want, knowing yeah. who your fans and followers and listeners are and, yeah. you know, just providing them value. I think that's tremendous advice. Quick question, just as far as the brands reaching out to you, what would be like an example of something that you turned down that you were like, this is cool, but this is very like selly and spammy and it's not going to really bring anybody that's following me any value. Oh. So recently I've had two people reach out. To Another one. Oh, no, three. Okay. The one was like this person who wanted me to do something about honey skincare or something like that. Uh, and I'm like, okay. okay. I mean, I'm not sure if that's really mentoring anybody. So so I was like, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to get like the skincare line based on like honey products and to just try because I'm all about that natural stuff. Woo! But I was like, mm, right. I don't know if I'll accept it because I don't know if that's going to help anybody. Uh. And then I got something like a new dieting product and I'm like, I could maybe see if I could turn this into something health wise. But I'm like right now, I'm really, really trying to focus on medical mentoring. I turned that one down uh, and then I think that another one was also like a dieting company as well they were gonna give me like free products yeah like that's mm -hmm. great but I'm like I'm not really dieting <laughs> um, so yeah I'm like yeah. I don't know like I didn't want to be like fake either Major so like that's one of the right. things too it's like sometimes I get posted different products or new clothing brands and some of the things I like but some clothing brands have reached out to me but then I look at what they sell and some of the things that like are on their shirts are like either offensive or Ugh. something that I don't really believe in or, or something that I right. think would be offensive 
this to my followers, oh. then I say, hey, that's great. But at this point, like, I don't think I can do it. So kind of things like that. Yeah. The things that are not currently in my realm right uh. now of medical mentoring. Like, I might expand things later, but I think just right now, I kind of want to stick to more just medical and professional things. Totally. I, I think uh, it's really like a branding exercise yeah. when you turn down some of these companies that are reaching out to you, offering your products and stuff, uh. because when you get to the bottom of it, brand is like personality. It's who you are, you know, who yeah. the people that built any company ultimately winds up being like the culture of that company. Uh -huh. And like all yeah. of that is just related to the brand. Talk to it's, it's so funny because like I, I feel like we definitely know those doctor accounts, like the hot doctor account, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's mm -hmm. just like them posting yeah. pictures of themselves. We the worst. There's a response that, that happens, but I can't imagine those accounts get really deep, you know, like the depth yeah. of your engagement versus like the width of it, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? I would like to talk about doctors. Uh, they're among our most trusted professionals. Nearly 70% of us rate them highly on ethical standards. Our lives and occasionally our balls are in their hands. <laughs> Which is why it was especially troubling last week to see this. With his syndicated TV show, magazine, and website, Dr. Oz has become one of America's most trusted docs. But on Capitol Hill Tuesday, he was on the hot seat. Excuse me, but any seat Dr. Oz is sitting on is the hot seat. <laughs> so, what did the doctor do? They criticized the talk show host for describing untested weight loss supplements as magical or miraculous. I want you to write it down, Garcinia Cambogia, because it may be the simple solution you've been looking for to bust your body fat for good. Oh, okay. Now I've got the number one miracle in a bottle to burn your fat. Lightning in a bottle. It's a miracle flower to fight fat. Miracle flowers? Are you a doctor or an Old West traveling salesman? <laughs> Have I got something miraculous for you, ladies and gentlemen? A monkey's paw mixed with five petals of a rose and a thimble full of otter semen. <laughs> Guaranteed to cure your lumbago. Step right up, step right up here. <laughs> the Senate hearing was about the marketing of dietary supplements, and unfortunately, no one is more effective at that than Dr. Oz. Oz's advice is so influential that one mention of a product can cause sales to skyrocket. The phenomenon even has its own name, the Dr. Oz effect. After Dr. Oz touted a substance called green coffee bean extract, one company in Florida sold half a million bottles. Seriously? What, what's so wrong with that? Name me one case where a man named Oz claimed mystical powers and led people horribly astray. Name me one case. You can't do it. I used to move snowflakes by the OC. The only problem with the Dr. Oz effect is that magic pills don't technically exist, uh. and Dr. Oz knows that. Do you believe that there's a miracle pill out there? There's not a pill that's going to help you long-term lose weight and live the best life without diet and exercise. Do you believe there's a magic weight loss cure out there? It, it, the, the word, ma if you're selling something because it's magical, no. Seriously? What? What? That, that would be ridiculous. No one is claiming there's a magic pill out there. That would be stupid. This little bean has scientists saying they found a magic weight loss cure for every body type. See? He never said there was a magic pill. He said there was a magic bean. <laughs> 
clearly entirely different because magic beans are a very real thing that you trade your cow for so you can steal a golden harp from a giant. That's science. I mean, did you buy them from the same guy who sold Jack his beanstalk beans? Uh, objection, Your Honor. Objection sustained. And by the way, a recent study found the main ingredient in those magic beans not only failed to help lab mice, it gave them the early symptoms of diabetes. Though, if you're a lab mouse with diabetes, you got off easy. Good luck getting any sympathy in the lab mouse support group. Oh, I'm sorry you can't have any candy. I've got an ear growing out of my fucking back. <laughs> Jeff's got herpes. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> here's, here's the issue. Dr. Oz is a doctor and one with degrees from two Ivy League schools. He's also dangerously likable. Watch how Morning Joe reacted after seeing bits of his congressional testimony. I only bought them once. It didn't. Can I just say? Did you buy them because you saw them on Dr. Oz? I like Dr. Oz. I will confirm or deny. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. And he's come here with really good advice. He has great advice. And listen, if he's got magic coffee beans, I want some of that. Seriously? You just. Showed a report that implied they didn't work. <laughs> you basically just did an Emperor's New Clothes piece and then ended it by saying, by the way, the Emperor's tailor was incredible. <laughs> that guy can stitch. And to give Dr. Ross the benefit of overwhelming medical doubt, he seems to be standing by some of his claims. I actually do personally believe. In the, in the items that I talk about in the show, I, I passionately study them. Uh, I recognize that oftentimes they don't have the scientific muster to present uh, as fact. But that's the whole point. You're presenting it as a doctor. If you, if you want to keep spouting this bullshit, that's fine. But don't call your show Dr. Oz. Call it Check This Shit Out with some guy named Mehmet. <laughs> Just... That's probably... That's... It's a good title, to be fair. You'll be the fourth episode of this mm -hmm. documentary series that, you know, okay. we're, we're doing on this platform. And we really try to, like, find people that we think fit the vibe of what we're going for, what we're about, like, kind of align yeah. with things that uh, are important to us. Looking at your profile and kind of looking at the types of things that you were putting out, even every once in a while there would be, like, the, the sponsored stuff but like not mad at it, you know what I mean? Because it was yeah. on brand. There's definitely an art and a level of self-awareness and understanding of what and why you're doing what you're doing. So awesome job so far. Thank you. Yeah, just maybe like, you know, one or two quick questions. We're maybe getting a little short on time here. So I, I, I wanted to okay. talk to you about any any like long-term dreams, uh, visions for Mentor Me MD, like whether it's like a TV show or as far out as you may have thought about it as, as far as, you know, where you could potentially take this. I think one of my first steps would be to do like a YouTube channel, something along those lines with just like mentoring like ideas and, like just motivation through medical school and just like finding your niche and things like that. So I think that would probably be the first step. I mean, long term, it would be awesome if I was kind of like a household name for mentoring. Because I think it's like something that's come up pretty recently, the importance of mentors like in our lives and every stage of our lives. And I think just ultimately, it would be really nice to become kind of like that household name. Because like one of my dreams has actually been to 
to be able to, because I grew up in Baltimore City, and so there's just so many young girls in these schools, you know, in the inner city, and they just don't have a positive mentor. And so one of my dreams um, after I'm done with my fellowship is to actually be able to go around to like these schools and just talk to these girls. And I would just love to like form a mentoring foundation for these inner city girls and just be like, okay, hey, I grew up like down the street from you. You know, my family was poor. If I can make it, you can too. And so I think being that household name gives me that platform to be able to actually go talk to these girls and be a mentor for them. And so I think that is like my big dream. If I could end up doing that one day, my life would be made. That's awesome. I think there's so much to be said as far as conveying this idea of if somebody looks like you and they did something, yeah. you can mm-hmm. do that thing too. Yeah. So I think that's a great message. And I think, you know, you're you're well on your way to get to that point. And we've talked about so many different things. This is, this is going to be a phenomenal interview. I just know it. So any last pieces of advice or wisdom or something that when you get overwhelmed, things that either you tell yourself, like a mantra, a quote, Mm -hmm. um, a song lyric, something that kind of has helped get you through those moments that we talked about of, you know, feeling inadequate or feeling overwhelmed, and then we'll end it there. One of the things I think just in my medical career that has really, really helped me when everything has been going crazy is scheduling and prioritizing things. And so for me, I kind of look at things like, okay, well, my boss is calling me, she wants me to do this. My staff, they're calling me, they want to know this about a patient. Hey, the patient is calling me and they're having this complaint. What is the priority? What needs to be done now and what can wait? And I think in life in general, if you look at things kind of like what is the priority for now and what can wait, I think that you'll be able to kind of navigate through any difficult situation by kind of prioritizing things in life. And I think that that has definitely helped me to survive in residency fellowship and in life in general. That's phenomenal. I think that, that's a great place to end. Mentor me, MD, Dr. A. This has been a really, really uh, fun hour and some change here. Like, I yeah. really appreciate your time. Thank cool. you so I don't know much. You, yeah, this is going to be great. And we'll cut it up and we'll have like different segments that you can share on your different social media. We'll link everything we'll up to like- thank you so much. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Okay, great. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Documentary. Documentary. Who's the doc that he told you to go see? Go chase medicine. I love learning about the human body. Mm, drop.
Hey guys, I was just listening to your segment、uh, where Maya tells about how you guys got picked up for Anchor, and it's such a cool story, man. I, I never heard any of your stuff on the old Anchor, you know, when it was all just waves. But I love the story. It's such a cool origin story for you guys, right? The fact that you know, there's there were some people who were just putting out tons and tons of content and stuff, and you guys just had this one super super awesome thing that Anchor just they had their minds blown, and they said we need to find these guys, and they email. You and they don't find you, and then they chase you, and then they find out your doctors. Awesome stuff. I'm gonna keep listening. Hey, Medicine Remix. Still loving your show. Had to call in. I had goosebumps listening to that segment. I haven't had goosebumps listening to a segment here on Anchor, but you guys gave it to me. The way you articulated your views back and forth was unlike anything else. I think this open discussion could really take people forward. So you're doing really well. Hey, Medicine Remix. I just want to let you know, I'm still listening, and I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. The confluence of medicine and the music really just makes my day. Thanks. Your station, I really appreciate what you guys do over there. Like you do take hip hop and you blend it with medicine. Keep doing what you guys do. D reshade, you guys rock. Hey, what's up, Medicine Remix? Just wanted to、uh, shout you guys out real quick. Colin, say you guys are fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys love that kind of language.、Oh. <laughs> awesome music every day. I appreciate the tidbits, man. Keep it up. Thank you so much. I just wanted to stop by and give you a shout. Let you guys know that you guys are still my favorite paradox. Medicine remix. Damn. Yo, Medicine Remix, just shout y'all real quick, and also wanted to say I subscribe to your iTunes joint, and I think what you're saying is real, real. I think what you do is really unique, man. So I just want to support it.、Um, it's inspiring to me to create. So keep it up, man. It's been a while since I've been on Anchor, and I missed you guys like crazy.、Um, and naturally, I come back to hear two amazing stories, just so compelling and endearing to me. I can relate to what you're saying because I have a 14-year-old and 16-year-old boy and a girl, and I. I love raising them as teenagers. It's like I feel like I'm coming into my own as a parent, and it puts it into context. You know how little time I have left with them to make an impact on their world, and so I just、um, I want them to hear the story, and I hope that they get the message. I know I did. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix only on Anchor. <laughs>